Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Serial Killer Podcast, the podcast dedicated to serial killers. Who they were, what they did, and how. Episode 157. I am your Norwegian host, Thomas Rosaland Vyborg Thun. Tonight, I will accompany you towards the end of the saga of Sergei Golovkin. We left last episode at the apex of Golovkin's depravity. In this episode, we witness the last of Golovkin's known crimes and reveal his ultimate fate. Enjoy. As always, I want to publicly thank my elite TSK Producers Club. Their names are Andrea, Boo, Cassandra, Chris, Christy, Cody, Connor, Corbin, Fawn, Gilly, James G, James H, James S, Jared, Jennifer, Johnny, Juliet, Kathy, Kevin, Kylie, Lisa, Lisbeth, Marilyn, Meow, Nick, Operation BP, Russell, Sabina, Samira, Scotnia, Shauna, Ted, Tim, Tony, Trent, and Val. You are the backbone of the Serial Killer Podcast. And without you, there would be no show. You have my deepest gratitude. Thank you. I am forever grateful for my elite TSK Producers Club, and I want to show you that your patronage is not given in vain. As mentioned in the last episode, Going forward, all TSK episodes will be available 100% ad-free to my TSK Producers Club on patreon.com slash theserialkillerpodcast. No generic ads, no ad reads, no jingles. I promise. And of course, if you wish to donate $15 a month, that's only $7.50 per episode, you are more than welcome to join the ranks of the TSK Producers Club 2. So don't miss out and join now.
On the night of the 21st to the 22nd of April 1992, Golovkin saw a boy, stocky, about 16 years old. According to Golovkin, at first, he did not want to kill him. There was no desire, apparently. He did not fit in terms of his usual parameters. He offered the boy a ride, and he accepted. After driving a short distance, the boy suddenly told Golovkin to stop and took out a knife and pointed it at Golovkin, shouting, Get out of the car! Golovkin was not intimidated in the least by the boy. Instead, he grabbed the boy's hand, aimed the blade towards the attacker, and scratched his face beneath the eye. The boy screamed in pain. He tried to break free, but Golovkin was stronger. Then he offered the boy to commit theft together, and the boy, under duress, agreed. To do this, he used the tried-and-tested method. He said the boy had to hide in the trunk. The boy, now cowed by Golovkin, acquiesced. When they arrived at the basement of the garage, Golovkin said to the boy, and I quote, This is where I killed thieves. But you were even more guilty in front of me. You raised your hand against me. End quote. In later interviews, Golovkin recalled the crime, speaking dispassionately, inexpressively. He undressed a teenager, tied his hands behind his back with a wire, and raped him anally. The teenager did not resist. Then Golovkin hung his victim by his twisted hands on a rack, as it was called in ancient times, tied the cord to the genitals, pulled, stretching the boy. Then he began to burn his face and pubic hair with a blowtorch. After torturing and raping the boy, satisfied, Golovkin pulled a plastic glove over the boy's head, which he used to inseminate horses. The teenager began to choke, convulse. After a while, Golovkin took off the glove. The young man begged Golovkin not to kill him and promised to bring anyone to carry out any order. But these pleas further spurred Golovkin's excitement. Humiliated in childhood by a father, children, others, he continued to torture. He made the boy stand on a stool, put a noose around his neck, then knocked the stool out from under his feet. The boy slowly strangled to death, kicking and writhing violently until he was finally still. Then Golovkin hung the boy up by the legs, cut off the head, bled the body, cut off the arms, legs, opened the abdominal cavity, made incisions in the lungs, removed the scalp from the head, gouged out the eyes, and then cut the pelvic bones in half. After a night of orgy, the next morning the humble livestock technician was supposed to be at work. Many noted his tired appearance. Golovkin just brushed it off. He just didn't had enough sleep that night, he told his colleagues. After work, he hurried back to his basement, his 
secret kingdom of horror and death. He looked at the remains of the body, turned them over. A terrible sight for a normal person, but according to him, it brought him into a state of special emotional uplift. A few days after the disappearance of this teenager, resident of Corky 10, who had risked attacking the maniac in his own car, a statement about his disappearance was filed with the police. His parents reacted rather calmly to his absence, since earlier the teenager had already fled from home to the Baltic states several times. But the detectives intuitively sensed that this boy did not escape a bad fate, which, alas, would be confirmed later. Considering that it is not the first time that Gorky Ten passes through the documentary base of the operation, it was decided to thoroughly check the male half of the village and its environs. In July of 1992, there was a need for additional forces to check the Zvenigorod suburbs, and 15 employees of the Operational Search Department of the Moscow Region Central Internal Affairs Directorate were immediately dispatched to Odintsovo. The number of suspects was getting smaller and smaller. The circle was narrowing. But the detectives were still far from any resolution. And, despite all efforts, they did not manage to stop three additional murders. And so it was that Golovkin's last victims were three boys killed in one instance. He met them on the 14th of September, 1992, at the station square, where he gave them a lift. During the conversation, he found out that the boys traveled to Moscow almost every day to play slot machines at the Belorusky railway station. The next day, the 15th of September, Golovkin was waiting at the station for his new acquaintances. He saw how they got off the train and drove up to them. Golovkin offered to take them to Gorky 10. The boys agreed, because he was kind of familiar. And then Golovkin threw in his favorite bait. He said that it is easy to steal cigarettes. But for this, they just needed to drive into his garage. The friends were at first hesitant and even took a short break to think about his proposal. They did not hesitate for long, and ultimately agreed. I have managed to find the transcript from the interrogation protocols. I quote, Investigator, describe these boys. Golovkin, thin, blonde hair, 11 to 12 years old. Investigator, and if they had refused to go steal cigarettes, Golovkin, I wouldn't have done anything to them. End quote. Two of the boys he kept in the trunk, and the third in the cabin on the floor. Once in the garage, he ordered them to go down to the cellar. The boys didn't suspect anything. In the cellar, he suddenly pounced on them and tied them up. 
From the interrogation protocols, I quote, Golovkin, I told them, Have you heard of Fisher? Here I am. I also told them that they are my eleventh, and now I will kill them. And in what sequence? Investigator, how was the sequence determined? Golovkin, well, I like the boy Ephraimov the most. I wanted to see his torment last the longest. End quote. The effect exceeded Golovkin's expectations. The boys began to beg for mercy, saying that they would bring in whoever he wanted. The pleas of the children only aroused him more. Golovkin started to torture Sidyakin in front of his comrades. He put gloves on the boy's head, watched him gasp for breath, raped him anally. Finally, he hung the boy by the neck from the stairs in the roof. Then it was the boy Sharikov's turn. The boy was frantic with fear after having witnessed the torture and murder of his friend. After torturing Sharikov in a similar manner as Sidyakin, Golovkin put Sharikov on a stool with a noose around his neck and forced the last of the surviving boys, Ephraimov, to knock it out from under his feet in order to see his humiliation and submission to his will. The boy did as he was told, and Sharikov strangled slowly to death. Then he dismembered Sharikov in front of Ephraimov, showed him the internal organs. The boy reacted calmly, without hysteria. Golovkin hung Ephraimov by his hands on the hook from the ceiling and began to torture him. He burned an obscene word on his chest with a wire. He scorched his face and pubic hair with a blowtorch. Then he evolved his modus operandi. He used rings to tighten. The boy screamed heartrendingly in pain. But the psychopath Golovkin immediately plugged his mouth with his hand. After a while, he hung the boy from the ceiling and watched as he too slowly suffocated. When the boy was dead, he did not dismember Ephraimov. By that point, he no longer had the strength nor the desire to do so. Golovkin was exhausted from his depraved work, which he had been doing all night from the 15th to the 16th of September. By very early morning, Golovkin took the bodies of the three friends to the forest near the Chastovskaya platform. And before burying, he again snared at the bodies of the boys. He became enraged, cut off and ripped off the skin, gouged out their eyes. Golovkin also cut out a piece of muscle tissue from the thigh of one of the boys and scalped the skin from the face of another. When it was over, it was already six o'clock in the morning. He always kept small things of his victims as a keepsake, keychains, colored glass, and so on. In the last three, he found twenty-five rubles, which he spent. He took off the chain with oval-shaped icons from Ephraimov. He immediately threw away the icons but wore the chain until his arrest. 
He believed that it would protect him from troubles and bring him good luck. The disappearance of the three boys from the village literally shocked all local residents. Immediately, active steps were taken to search for the missing boys. The participants in the operation, called Boa Constrictor, managed to find out that before the disappearance of these three village children, they had an acquaintance from Moscow who was friends with them. It was he who remembered that once, when he and some friends arrived from Moscow in his native Odintsovo district in the evening, they were dropped off at Gorky Ten by quote-unquote Uncle Zerosha Golovkin in his car. The operatives took the received specific information very seriously. But the investigation had nothing on Golovkin, except for suspicions, a number of coincidences, maybe accidental, maybe not. They did not have any hard evidence. At that time, the bodies of the three missing children had not even been found, so it was premature to talk about the arrest of this person. Analytical work was underway. His connections were established, alibis were monitored. Turned out that Golovkin had a Moscow residence permit, had not been previously convicted, had not been registered in a neuropsychiatric dispensary, and therefore had not gone through any operational records of the police until that moment. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies. I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is... Another mask. <laughs> <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f- are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time seems to be a dwindling resource nowadays. Work. Family, bills, chores, and the endless time thief of social media. But imagine, if you will, dear listener, what's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule 
is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Everyone needs someone to talk to, even psychopaths, even your humble host. So, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash serial killer today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash serial killer. On the 4th of October, in the woods near the village of Ugriomuvu, where the body of a 14-year-old boy was discovered more than six years earlier at the Zvezdny pioneer camp, mushroom pickers stumbled upon a children's burial ground, probably excavated by wild animals. It contained the remains of the missing trio. The corpses of two strangled children were beheaded, and the fate of the third teenager was easy to guess. He too had been murdered. The investigation already had the main suspect, but there was still no evidence incriminating him. There was no clear reason for his arrest, and the local police authorities tensely continued to weigh the pros and cons, choosing what to be the best option. Either they were to continue spying on the suspect, expecting to catch him red-handed, or to make a detention, expecting that along the way it would be possible to find irrefutable evidence or get his own confessions about the crimes on record. On the morning of the 19th of October, 1992, Golovkin filled up a full tank of gasoline and started driving. In the afternoon, in the village of Javoronki at the railway crossing, the driver of the car was detained. During the arrest, he obeyed the employees of the Criminal Investigation Department, to put it mildly, with reluctance. In the language of police protocol, this was called disobedience. In other words, Golovkin struggled with his captors and did not go willingly to his fate. However, after having arrived at the police station, Golovkin behaved emphatically calm, answering the investigators' questions indifferently and in detail. Seven hours of dialogue between the investigators and the suspect led nowhere, and the head of the brigade the senior investigator for especially important cases of the Russian prosecutor's office, Yevgeny Bakin, came to the conclusion that there were no grounds for detention and that Golovkin should be released. At this, perhaps the most difficult moment for the investigation the head of the Criminal Investigation Department of the Central Internal Affairs Directorate of the Moscow region, Nikolai Chekmazov, took the initiative, overruled Bakin, and gave the order to continue 
working on Golovkin. Golovkin spent the most difficult night of his life in the pre-trial detention center, trying to get rid of the chain of his last victim. He also fretted about what the police knew and did not know. All these difficult emotional experiences resulted in a suicide attempt. But Golovkin was closely monitored and thus was saved. A day later, search warrants were obtained for his garage and room. It was during a search in the garage of a senior livestock breeder that they found and seized material evidence of the crimes he had committed. From the inspection protocol of Sergei Alexandrovich Golovkin's garage on the 21st of October, 1992, I quote. When the garage was opened, the following were found inside. An axe, rags, knives pushed under the roof boards, a tourist hatchet with brown marks. The analysis showed the presence of blood. Fragments of a boy's school uniform were found among the rags. There is a hatch in the garage under which the basement is equipped. Basement parameters 180 centimeters by 250 centimeters, height 280 centimeters. Examination of the basement found a baby bath with traces of charred organic matter and a characteristic smell of organic matter. Streaks of blood on the wall, trow with fragments of charred leather, two hooks in the wall with a ring, a sweatshirt covered in blood, barrel, blue and white ropes in a box, wire, blowtorch, rope, knife, syringes, matches, scalpel, petrolatum, condoms, needle. End quote. The scene removed all questions as to who was the killer that had terrified the whole Moscow region for so many years. It had been Sergei Golovkin all along. In the first days after the arrest, Golovkin was very frightened. But then the fear gave way to a feeling of relief. He said in later interviews, Finally, Everything is over for me and will never happen again. End quote. He refused to meet with his mother as he felt ashamed in front of her. Golovkin was kept in the Matroskaya Tishina remand prison. Behaved, according to the guards, quietly. He tried not to bother his cellmates. However, according to the unwritten criminal laws, the prisoners beat him very badly when they met, after learning what he had been doing. In the interests of the investigation and Golovkin's safety, he had to be transferred to solitary confinement. On the 30th of October, he was charged under Article 102, Paragraph E, of the Criminal Code of Russia, which covers premeditated murder under aggravated circumstances in order to conceal another crime of rape. During this period, Golovkin actively collaborated with the investigation, 
since there was little sense in him to lock himself up with such convincing evidence of his guilt. In November 1992, he indicated the burial place of three schoolchildren he had killed, clarified the details of the 1986 murders committed in the same area. In addition, he indicated the place where he left the dismembered corpse of a teenager who had been killed by him on the 22nd of April 1992 and had not yet been found and was on the missing list. Thus, almost immediately, he confessed to the murder of 11 children in the period from 1986 to 1992. But there were many more cases of disappearances of children during the period under review. According to the investigation, Golovkin is suspected to have committed at least 40 murders of children. The investigation began to actively collect information about adolescents who went missing from autumn 1986 to autumn 1992. A request from the Russian prosecutor's office about the commission of similar crimes was sent to all the investigating authorities of the country. However, after confessing to 11 murders, which were indisputably supported by numerous physical evidence, Golovkin fell silent. Moreover, in the course of the further investigation, Golovkin himself did not particularly deny that there were many more crimes committed by him, but he told the prosecutor's office that he would make detailed confessions only at trial and gradually. Thus, he hoped to postpone the moment of the death sentence, believing that after each new confession, the judges would be forced to send his case for further investigation. In the summer of 1993, a psychiatric examination of Sergei Golovkin was carried out at the Serbsky Institute, according to the results of which he was declared sane in relation to all the charges incriminated to him, although the experts also noted the presence of signs of schizoid psychopathy. It took the investigation another year to summarize all the materials, and in 1994 Golovkin's case was finally sent to court. Materials of Criminal Case Number 18-58373-86, where Golovkin was accused under six articles of the Criminal Code of Russia, occupied 95 volumes. The hearing of the criminal case against animal technician Sergei Golovkin, also known as Udav and Fischer, accused of aggravated murder of 11 boys, began in the Moscow Regional Court on the 22nd of August 1994. Golovkin's lawyer suggested not using the death penalty. The argument used was that in everyday life and at work, Golovkin was characterized positively, had not been previously convicted, and provided assistance to the investigation. 
As for his addiction to boys and inattention to the female sex, then, in the words of the defender, this is not the defendant's fault, but his misfortune. Golovkin did not like what his lawyer was saying. He told Judge Alexandru Juzbanu that he wanted to defend himself and that he wanted the death penalty. After examining the circumstances of the case, the court found Sergei Golovkin guilty of all eleven premeditated murders with aggravating circumstances, as well as rape and theft of personal property. On the 19th of October, 1994, the Moscow Regional Court sentenced Sergei Alexandrovich Golovkin to death. The announcement of the verdict took three hours. Golovkin took the decision of the court calmly. After barely two years in prison, Golovkin faced execution. He spent a month before his execution in a standard Buturka death cell. Grey walls, three bunks, a washbasin, personal belongings, photographs on the walls, and so it was that Golovkin was shot on the 2nd of August, 1996, with the traditional single bullet to the back of the head method. To the average person, being shot in the head sounds brutal. But in fact, this method of execution is one of only two known actually humane methods of execution the other being death by nitrogen gas. Being shot in the head at point-blank range will cause instant unconsciousness, as the brain is instantly destroyed. The person being shot probably won't even hear the shot before everything goes dark. There is a slight caveat to this. In a few rare cases, especially if one uses a small caliber, the bullet might miss the brain and instead follow the skull bone and exit through the neck or face. In this case, the execution will cause extreme pain and terror. Usually, as is customary in executions by firearm, the person being shot is given a coup de grace. So, if the bullet misses and the victim lies writhing on the floor, the executioner will move forward and fire a final shot, again into the head, causing instant death. In any case, the method is far superior to that of electrocution, lethal injection, or death by cyanide gas, all of which is pure, extreme, long-lasting torture. Russia, at that time, was in the process of implementing a moratorium on executions as part of its entrance into the Council of Europe. Though the moratorium has wavered at times, it has held ever since. Golovkin, as I am writing this, is the last person judicially executed on Russian soil to date. 
Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code program. And with that, we come to the end of the saga of Sergei Golovkin, the Boa Constrictor. Next episode, number 158 in number, will feature a fresh new serial killer expose. So, as they say in the land of radio, stay tuned. Finally, I wish to thank you, dear listener, for listening. If you like this podcast, you can support it by donating on patreon.com slash theserialkillerpodcast, by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, facebook.com slash theskpodcast, or by posting on the subreddit theskpodcast. Thank you. Good night. Good luck. (laughs) 